please open with me in God's word to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, we are returning to our sermon series here in the book of Genesis as we look at the life of Abraham. We've called this Father Abraham. And while you're turning there, I wonder when is the last time you have heard the words satisfaction guaranteed? Satisfaction guaranteed. These are words that are often used in an attempt to get you to buy something. So that you will go ahead and lay down some money in order to buy various things, trusting that if you are not satisfied, that you will get your money back. Or sometimes you may hear a money back guarantee. But why is this word guarantee so important? Because so often things aren't guaranteed in this world. And even those things that may be guaranteed, we recognize they're never certain, are they? There's always that fine print where there are those businesses that go bankrupt. Or frankly, there are companies that will simply lie in order to sell something to us. Which is why we may not fully trust in guarantees. But this morning... We see a guarantee that cannot fail. So with this in mind, let us turn to reading together Genesis 15 to learn of this guarantee that God makes to Abraham. And we'll read the whole chapter here this morning. Genesis 15, beginning with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born of my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you were able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. 
Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us go again before our great God in prayer. Oh, Father, we live in a world with so few guarantees and where even the guarantees that are here are not certain. In midst of the uncertainty in which we face in our lives then, we pray you will reveal to us the glory of this guarantee from your word. And in doing so, Father, may Christ be magnified as your word is preached. And as he is magnified, may our hearts be revived and our minds be renewed so that we will rejoice even in the midst of such uncertainty. Because, Father, you have given us certainty in Christ. So may he be clearly seen and uplifted before us as your word is preached. And, Father, we pray these words will come to us, not simply as the words of a man, but as your words powerfully at work in our hearts and lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask that I may be a weak vessel used in your strength for your glory and for the salvation of souls and for the encouragement and edification of the saints. And we ask these things then, Father, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what guarantee is made here in this chapter this morning? It's that God's covenant promises guarantee our salvation in Christ. God's covenant promises guarantee our salvation in Christ. In this chapter, God's covenant with Abraham unfolds through two scenes with two promises. The first scene is in verses four to six, which is a vision at night. And the second scene takes place in verses seven to 21 with a deep sleep at sundown. But in these two scenes, we are there is revealed to us God's covenant promises, his two covenant promises of descendants to Abraham 
as well as the promise of land to Abraham. So let us begin then by looking at verses 1 to 6 more closely as we consider this first scene where God's covenant promise of descendants is made. Now I know it's been a few weeks since we've been here in the book of Genesis, but Genesis is the book of beginnings. And in the beginning, we read of God creating the heavens and the earth. He creates the world and everything in it. And he creates humanity then to rule and reign over this world. But our first parents rejected God by rebelling against him. And so came under the judgment of God as he cursed humanity and the world, which brings in death and corruption. But even in the midst of God's curse, he also promises salvation, salvation from his judgment, salvation from sin. And this promise continues even as humanity spreads together with sin throughout the world. To where in the midst of sinful humanity, God calls a man out of his sin to leave his country, to leave his people, and to leave his family in order to continue. God gives this man, Abram, who becomes Abraham, seven promises with five blessings, so that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So why God promises back in Genesis 12, this promised land he will give to Abram's descendants. But what happens once Abram enters this promised land? Once Abram enters Canaan? Problem after problem arises that tests the faith of Abram and those who are with him as they trust in God's promises. Will they have faith in God's promises? And through everything that has happened in Genesis so far, Abram's faith in God slowly strengthens. To where at the end of Genesis 14, he is then blessed by Melchizedek who is the king of righteousness and a priest of God, pronouncing this blessing of God Most High. But as we then come here to Genesis 15, Abram encounters God twice. In each encounter, we find following the same pattern. You may have picked up on it as I read it this morning. First, there's God's covenant promise that is then followed by Abram's concerned question, and then finally, God's reassuring display. So in both these scenes, there's God's covenant promise followed by Abram's concerned question, and finally, God's reassuring display. And in this scene, God speaks to Abram in a night vision. Now, I don't know what Abram saw, but here we see what Abram heard. But don't miss the phrase that is specifically used in verse 1, that the word of the Lord came to Abram. This phrase is specifically and specially used in the Old Testament. It, it's, it refers to when God gives revelation to a prophet. 
We find then Abram here as a prophet who hears the word of God then through this vision. But as he hears from God, as God's prophet, the first words to Abram are, Do not be afraid, Abram. Now, why would Abram be afraid? Well, the the text itself doesn't say. Uh, Some believe it is because Abram likely likely was fearing retribution from the, the war and the raids that had just taken place. Others believe that Abram has become afraid because several years have passed since he was given this call. Remember, Abram was already called as an old man at the age of 75. Here he is likely at least five years later. He's 80 years old. And the promises that were given back as God called Abram in chapter 12 are no closer to being completed, or at least do not seem to be any closer to being completed. But I, I think that Abram's afraid here because he is encountering God in a vision. And he is fearing God who has come to him to speak. God then encourages him, Abram, do not be afraid. And how does he reassure Abram? I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God reassures Abram by declaring who he is, that he is a shield of protection to Abram. And there's actually a word play that takes place. If you look back to Genesis 14, verse 20, to Melchizedek's blessing of Abram, Melchizedek says, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies in your hand. This God who delivered Abram's enemies into his hand, that word delivered in Hebrew is the same word that is used here for shield. God has been Abram's deliverer, and now God is Abram's shield. He is the protector of Abram. And as we come then to the final phrase at the end of verse 1, we run into a struggle. Different translations uh, record this differently. I am reading from the New King James. But the question is this. Is God himself Abram's great reward? Or are God's promises to Abram his great reward? And while either may be true, I believe this is God who is giving himself to Abram. That it is indeed God who is Abram's exceedingly great reward. But either way, God shows his love towards Abram by reminding Abram of his promises. And as he does so in this chapter, he formalizes and he confirms his promises to Abram in a covenant. Now, what is a covenant? This is an important and critical biblical word that ties together all of Scripture. So how well you understand the message of God's word is directly tied to how well you understand God's covenants. But a covenant, essentially or simply, is a guaranteed commitment 
that is made between two parties. And God, as he commits to men, he makes these commitments to mankind or to men through a covenant. So here in this covenant that he makes with Abram, God commits to fulfill his promise of descendants who will inherit this land. But this then brings us in verses 2 to 3 to Abram's response. Remember, Abram's wife is barren. She can't have children. How is this promise possible? So Abram complains to God of this dilemma. But his question is not one of unbelief. His question is one he asks in faith. God, how can this be true? Do you know we can complain to God? Again, not in unbelief, but by faith. God welcomes our questions and our concerns. And this is what Abram offers here. So he begins his question. Notice his faith here. He begins his question in verse 2 by saying to him, Lord God. Now, when you see the word Lord in all capital letters, you may already know, that is God's covenant name, Yahweh. So Abram is here recognizing the sovereign Lord as his own. And it's as his sovereign Lord he asks this question because his heir is currently a servant in charge of his house who is guardian over his estate. Eleazar is not a child of his own. How will Abram and his descendants possibly, how will this promise of his descendants possibly be fulfilled? How can this promise from God come true. Well, as the verses go on, verses 4 to 6, we see God reaffirming his promise to Abram that his heir will indeed come from his own body. Again, notice that believing this promise means trusting God in spite of Abram's situation and in spite of Abram's struggles. It means having faith in God as his shield who will keep his promises. And so because of God's love for Abram, he brings him outside to show him the nighttime sky and display the certainty of this promise to Abram. And he asks him to count the stars if he is able to number them. Of course, no one is able to count the stars. Now, I know we live in a day where if you go outside at night due to light and electricity and you look up in the sky, you may not see a lot of lights. But there is a time I was in South Africa I will never forget. When I went outside at night and we looked up at the stars, there were no lights to disturb what we saw. There was... The nighttime sky was filled. With stars. And so Abram goes outside and he sees these stars and he's overwhelmed with how many stars he sees. 
Now, there are scientists who are not able to count the stars, but they try to calculate the stars. And when they seek to count or, or at least calculate the stars, they even recognize the challenges and the problems. According to one scientist who seeks to come up with a number of stars in the observable universe, he says the number of stars in the observable universe is roughly estimated to be one sextillion. Now, because none of us know what a sextillion is, it is one billion trillion or one with 21 zeros after it. We could never count such a great number. And this displays the grace of God towards Abraham and the love of God towards Abraham and how richly God will bless Abraham because of this promise he has made to Abraham. What an amazing promise then God gives to Abram in these verses. And how does Abram respond? We read there in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. See, by believing in God. He knew that God's promise would come true. And so he trusts in God, knowing that God is trustworthy and that his word is true. And what's the result? That Abram's faith is counted by God as righteousness. That Abram is justified before God because God counts him as righteous in his sight. Now, this is not because of anything Abram has done. This is not because of anything Abram would do. We see here Abram simply believed God and trusted in God's promises. And so this is not a righteousness that Abram has earned. But this is a righteousness Abram receives as God's gift by faith. We find then in this first scene, in this first encounter with God, God saying to Abram, do not be afraid. And then ending with Abram's faith. So we have a move from faith or a move from fear to faith with faith overcoming fear. Well, what about you? How are you living your life in this world? Let's turn together Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. And, and the entirety of this chapter, the whole of this chapter, the Apostle Paul is writing the church of Rome, looking at Abraham to seeing what we can learn from Abraham. But it's here that the Apostle Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And this verse is actually a key verse that's used a number of times in the New Testament. But let's read together, and, and we won't read the whole chapter here, but at least the first five verses of Romans 
chapter 4 to gain more insight into this faith of Abraham. The Apostle Paul writes, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. See, just as Abraham was ungodly, so we are ungodly. And just as there was no hope for Abraham satisfying God, finding favor with God, being reconciled to God through his works. So our only hope of God accepting us as righteous is through the righteousness God provides as a gift to us. May we then have faith in God, believing on him who justifies the ungodly. You can receive righteousness as a gift by looking to God and trusting in him by faith and in his promise of salvation, which continues to be revealed in scripture and which we will come to see more fully as these scenes unfold. But even for those of us who are believing on God and who are trusting in God's promises, how easy it is for us to look to the world, to focus on our struggles and on our situation, and to say, you know, nothing's really changed. I'm still facing the same obstacles I've been facing. I'm still wrestling with sin, and frankly, my heavenly home seems so far away. We can fear this world, and we can fear God and His judgment, the judgment we deserve for our sin. And yet God says to us, do not be afraid. Because he has promised salvation. And he's promised salvation through descendants he gives to Abraham. But this then brings us to the second scene. The second scene continues in Genesis 15 from verse 7 all the way down through verse 21. Because God didn't only promise Abram descendants, right? He also promised these descendants land. And so we find Abram encountering God once again, this time, as he comes to a, into a time of deep sleep at sundown. 
But the same pattern repeats in this scene. We begin with God's covenant promise. And this is followed by Abram's concerned question. And then finally, God's reassuring display. But I also want you to recognize that these verses also serve as a preview of what will come and what will happen again in history with God's people Israel. Because as we've already seen in Genesis, Israel is following in the footsteps of their father Abraham. Now, as God includes this promise of land there in verse 7 with Abram, he once again begins with an I am declaration. He already declared, I am your shield. But now he says, I am the Lord. And he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. So he reminds Abram of bringing him out of his homeland and into the promised land. But did you recognize how this parallels Israel in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, when God said to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. They're following in Abram's footsteps. And so Abram, as he hears this promise again, struggles with doubt. How can this be? God accepts our doubts. He wants us to come to him with his doubts. And so here in his doubt, Abram raises another question about his promise. After all, while Abram is living in this land God has promised, he hasn't inherited it. And so he says to God, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? He asks here for a sign of confirmation from God. So God will display again a reassurance of his commitment to Abram here. And he confirms his promise to Abram by asking Abram to prepare for a ceremony or a ritual. He says to Abram to slaughter these animals because God will show Abram what happens to the one who does not keep this covenant. God then is calling down a curse against a covenant breaker who, like these animals, would be cut in two. If anyone fails to keep these covenant promises. I appreciate then how Samuel Renahan, as he writes on God's covenants, explains the importance of what takes place. He writes, a commitment in and of itself is not a covenant. Sanctions or threats must be put into place to guarantee the fulfillments of the party's commitments. This adds a degree of legality and formality that a generic commitment would not carry. So God has not only made a commitment to Abram, but now he is entering into a covenant guaranteeing the fulfillment of these promises. And as he 
does so. He asks for these animals, which would, of course, been familiar to Israel as those God commanded to be used as sacrifices to God, offering such sacrifices to God for their sins. Abram then cuts them in two and lays each half next to each other in a line, except for the birds. But once he does so, what do we see happening? This ceremony is threatened. This covenant is threatened before it is formally established. Vultures come down threatening God's covenant from being ratified, which would prevent God's promise then from coming true. You know, we often see in Scripture birds used as a metaphor for conquering forces against God's people. So here we find Abram is threatened by vultures as Egypt is later threatening Israel from entering the promised land. So Abram drives them away in order to defend God's covenant from attack because his hope depends on God's promises being established in this covenant. So he keeps these animals prepared for this ritual or this ceremony. And as the sun goes down, Abram enters into a deep sleep where he then faces horror and great darkness, experience Israel would later face in their time of horror and darkness in Egypt. So why then God speaks to Abram of what will come of his descendants, Israel. That this land that Abram is in will not be given to Abram's descendants for 400 years, which is a round number for four generations, each generation lasting 100 years. We find later this is actually 430 years. So they will first leave this land and go to another land where they will be enslaved. And of course, we know this is the land of Egypt. But God will eventually judge Egypt. And we know he does through the plagues. Which will then set free Abram's descendants to enter the land that God has promised to Abram and his descendants. And as God gives to his prophet Abram this prophecy, we also see God encouraging Abram by saying to Abram that he will live a full life and he will die of old age under the blessings of God. Four generations later, his descendants will return to the promised land under the blessing of God. Which may leave us to ask, well, why? Why is there such a long wait for Abram's descendants to live in the promised land? Well, the answer is given at the end of verse 16. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. See, while those who are living in the land of Canaan are sinful, it is not yet time for their judgment 
And the Amorites here represent the ten nations who are living in Canaan and mentioned at the end of this chapter. We see then these peoples are storing up God's wrath for themselves as they continue living in sin. And while generation after generation after generation after generation of Amorite continues living in sin, God will judge them. But in his patience and kindness, God waits until nations are saturated with sin before judging them for their sin. Which is why here Abram is told there is a day coming where God's patience will end and they will come under God's judgment through his people Israel. So why I appreciate the commentator Bruce Waltke as he writes of this verse, he makes a critical point. He says, Israel's conquest and settlement of Canaan is based on God's absolute justice, not on naked aggression. God is at work to both bring judgment upon sinners who are living in Canaan and to bring grace to those who will inherit this land as his people. And you know, if we think of the Amorites, the great sinfulness of the Amorites is confirmed through the Ugaritic texts, which are written all the way back in 1400 BC. Because in the Ugaritic text, we read of the Amorites that they're, the gods they worshipped were wickedly violent and sexually perverse. These were a people living in rebellion against God in the land. And the day will come when they are judged by God for their wickedness and their perversions and sin. But then this brings us to verse 17, which R.C. Sproul says is his favorite verse in all the Bible. And it may strike us as a little strange. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Now, what in the world are we reading about here? Well, in the darkness, there is rising smoke and burning fire that then pass between these animal halves that God told Abraham to sacrifice. But notice, this isn't merely any smoke or fire. This is the presence of God himself. And this is how God appeared to Israel when they were freed from Egypt and came to Mount Sinai. Listen to the words of Exodus 19:18. We read, now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Do you see then what is happening? Here the smoke and the fire show what God says will happen to him if he fails to bring to pass these covenant promises to Abraham. 
that in His presence, God is showing to Abram that He takes the threat of death under judgment upon Himself. God is placing Himself under this curse if these covenant promises are not kept. God is saying He will be like these slaughtered animals if He does not keep His promises to Abraham. So what an oath God takes upon Himself. This then guarantees His promises will be fulfilled. And what an encouragement this then would be to Abram. Abram no longer has any reason to doubt that God's promises of descendants and land will come true. They're guaranteed because of the oath God has taken in this threat against himself in this covenant he is making with Abraham. Which leads God then to finally in verse 18 speak these words of promise as a covenant commitment to Abraham which he is guaranteed under oath. So the Abrahamic covenant we can see summarized here in verse 18. Let's read this as well. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. See, all of this land will be given to Abram's descendants. And whether this is looked at geographically, like we read in verse 18, or whether we consider the peoples that are living in the land, the nations, the ten nations that are referred to in verses 19 to, 20 to, to, to 21, Israel will receive all of their land. As you count these ten nations, remember... The number 10 in Scripture often means completion. Between the 10 nations here refer to all the peoples who are living in the land of Canaan. All of these people and all of these nations will be judged by God for their sin as Israel comes into this land and it becomes their land of promise. So what we find here through this chapter is that God's covenant promises guarantee our salvation in Christ. Praise God, God's covenant promises guarantees our salvation in Christ. How? Well, like these nations, we all live under God's judgment for sin. And either we will be punished for our sins in the coming day of judgment. Or we will believe in the one who is willing to offer himself up in judgment 
to keep his promise of salvation. And this is exactly what happens when God becomes man to take our place. In Jesus Christ, God does walk through the curse as his blood is shed for us on the cross. And it's through his receiving the curse we deserve that God's promises will be fulfilled. You see, God makes a, these promises to Abram of descendants in a land so that through this people, he will then enter the world in the person of Jesus Christ to live in our place, to die on the cross for us, and then to receive resurrection glory, to then give us eternal life, forgiven of our sin, reconciled with God, counted as righteous because of Christ's righteousness, which is received not because of anything we have done, but by faith and simple trust in God who guarantees to keep his promises. See, God's covenant promises to Abraham revealed a greater fulfillment beyond Israel's great earthly number as Abraham's descendants and greater than their great inheritance of the promised land. Because the Abrahamic promise, the Abrahamic covenants, covenant promised a greater covenant, which we now know as the new covenant that God makes with us in Jesus Christ. So it's in this greater covenant that we see the descendants of Abram greater than the number of the stars of heaven. And we see a greater home that is given to us than a parcel of land in the Middle East. Because we are given the place as a home in the very presence of God in heaven. Let us read more then of how the Abrahamic covenant is ultimately fulfilled through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to two passages of scripture quickly. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 12. Where we read of Abram's faith in this greater covenant to come. So Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised 
Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as what? The stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. Or as we go on to read in the book of Revelation, let's go to Revelation chapter 7 and read together verses 9 and 10. Remember, in this book of Scripture, this final book, the Apostle John is brought up by God into heaven and receives this vision or this revelation. And what does he see here in Revelation 7 as he is seeing there in heaven? Verses 9 and 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to the Lord, or salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A great multitude which no one could number in heaven praising God for his salvation and for the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who provides us with salvation. You see then how Abraham's covenant reveals to us the promises of a greater covenant to come and which has come and was guaranteed to come in Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, our salvation in Christ is guaranteed. Isn't it glorious? Our salvation in Christ is guaranteed. So there is no covenant fine print here. There is no covenant bankruptcy possible here. And there are no covenant lies here. This covenant, these promises have been guaranteed by God. And they are certain for all of us who believe on Christ by confessing our sins took before God in repentance and turning to Christ and trusting in Christ's Sacrifice for us in faith. See, God's covenant promises are as certain as the stars you see in the sky at night. And they're as certain as God's own oath of judgment, which he took upon himself as Christ died on the cross for us. May we then recognize God's covenant promises guarantee our salvation in Christ. Even as we wait for the fullness of these blessings to come. And even as we continue to struggle in the midst of whatever situations we may be in in this world. What a great and steadfast hope we have brothers and sisters. 
We may not know how long we live. We may not know what will happen to us as we live. But when we have faith in Christ, we know this. His covenant promises to us are guaranteed. And our salvation in Christ is secure. Where we will join together with a great multitude, which no one can number. In the presence of God in heaven itself. To live eternally in joy. May we then look forward to this day every day that we live in this world. Amen. Let us pray. Father, what a rich passage of Scripture we have read and heard proclaimed this morning. What a glorious chapter we have heard from the life of our father Abraham. May he indeed truly be our father in the faith because we share in his faith, trusting in you and your promises, which have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and which will be fully complete when Christ returns. And judgment day arrives. May none of us come to that day of judgment under the weight of our own sinfulness. But may we all come as those who look forward to our future because the judgment we deserve has been lovingly carried out as Christ was cut down in half on the cross for us. And Father, with this glorious future and with the eternal life we now have in Christ, may we live with this faith in confidence of your guaranteed promises. That no matter what happens in our situations, in our circumstances, no matter how long we have life in this world, we are certain that your guarantee of the covenant promises is true. And we pray then all of these things in awe of our Savior Jesus Christ.